two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Yes, what? We are live, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome, Husker fans, to the very first installment of the Big Red Roundtable, a panel discussion of all things Husker football that's bourbon-fueled and features the unholy alliance of the Husker Cuzcast and Generation Red, along with our guest in the studio today, Chris, the host of the Huskers in Enemy Territory podcast on YouTube. For the next hour or so, we're going to talk about six topics, and hopefully it only goes an hour or so, but we'll see. Um, and we thank you for watching. My name is Ken. I'm from Generation Red. Oh, yes. And I'm Scott. I am also from Generation Red. I am attempting to share our live stream right now on social media platforms. Welcome cool. to the stream. Go ahead, guys. I am Justin with the Husker Cuzcast. I am Derek with the Husker Cuzcast. And I am Tyler with the Husker Cuzcast. Thanks for and joining I'm Christopher us, with uh, Husker and Enemy Territory. That's right. He is our guest panelist tonight. And uh, I first noticed your channel, Chris, about, oh, six months ago or so, I think it was, uh, when I was looking for Husker content and son of a gun, this bearded guy popped up on my screen. I said, oh, let me check this out. And I thought it was pretty good. And uh, then we happened to find each other on Twitter. And we, when Justin and I started talking about this is something that we might want to do. Uh, you were kind of the first guy I thought about about adding to our first live stream. So thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Why don't you let everybody know how long you've been doing the podcast on YouTube and why you came up with the name that you did. So uh, I think I've been doing it for about a year now. I think I started it, let's say, um, I think it was probably last December maybe. So okay. uh, one reason why I started the channel was because – I wasn't really getting the kind of the Husker content that I wanted to see um, through the media because since I live in Iowa, and that's one reason why I do have the Huskers in enemy territory um, uh, name uh, because I live in Iowa. So it's really tough for a lot of us over here in eastern Iowa to get Huskers content. So I figured why not start up a channel for myself. Sounds well, good. Neat, so where you said you said you're what? You're really in enemy territory because you're right there yeah. over there by Iowa City, aren't you? Yeah, so uh we're located in uh just south of Iowa City in a city called Riverside. All righty. Well, that's awesome. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us tonight. And as we talked about in our pre-show talk, uh and just in case anybody who's watches a lot of live streams may get pissed off at me for this next part, but Chris isn't going to lead off our talk tonight, even though that's proper etiquette for a live stream or a podcast, because his topic is so good, we decided to leave the best for last. So uh, we're, we've got six great topics to talk about tonight, and if any of you have read the topic list that I put out on Twitter, 
yeah, horse porn isn't one of them. Just just so you know. Um, I guess I'll tear <laughs> that page out. <laughs> just well, was you excited know, too. Dang it. Well, he was, he was got some quality up and research ready in on go. that one. <laughs> some quality research. <laughs> You had to yeah, have a lot video I had to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to leave this one off with Scott's topic. He's got a great one for us uh, because, damn it, we just haven't argued enough about this one. So go ahead, Scott. Hey, folks. So my topic that I wanted to talk about was the painful and uh, historically significant era that is known as the Frost Era and reflecting on it. Um and I'll just kick it off by just stating that uh, I think it's pretty much safe to say that the that Frost has been probably the worst coach that we have had since the Bill Jennings era. Um, for some background with Bill Jennings, he was our coach from 1957 until 1961 um, and finished with a record of 15 and 34. Uh, Frost currently holds a 15 and 29 record. Um, both are well below the 500 ratio and even Mike Riley, which I would argue is probably one of the worst coaches we've definitely had in the last 60 years. Even he was able to scrounge up a 500 winning record going 19 and 19 um, in four seasons. The best record that Frost has been able to accumulate has been a five and second five and seven record that came in 2019. And I'll just spout off a few uh, interesting things that I, I just kind of wanted to highlight was that the top 10 wins of the frost era, which arguably there's probably only 10 wins that are even quote unquote notable of the frost era. Um, and the top two of them, in my opinion, and just by record alone, both came in 2018, number one being Michigan state, which they finished that season seven and six and Minnesota in 2018, which they finished that season seven and six. But then if you go down the list with Illinois, Penn state, Illinois, again, Rutgers, Northwestern this year, um, Purdue, Maryland, Northwestern in 2019, uh, the, none of their records are above 700 or above 500 aside from, like I said, those two, Michigan State, Minnesota, and then technically Illinois, but they went 6-7 and seven because they lost in their bowl game. So most notable games of the Frost era have been against opponents that were sub-500. So that's just something to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, most notable players, in my opinion, that we have seen in the Frost era – um, and that would be the following. And I just want to make a note that I'm only picking the players that have either graduated here or are currently on the roster, and they're not in any particular order. And I'm sure all of these names you guys will, will reflect on and be like, yeah, they were they were pretty dang good. Um, we got Stanley Morgan Jr., Divina Zigbo, Luke Gifford, Cam Taylor-Britt, Darian and Damian Daniels, Ben Stilley, Lamar Jackson, Khalil and Carlos Davis, Cam Jurgens, Will Honus, Jojo Doman, DiCaprio Boodle, Freedom Akinmoladun. I can still never say that name. Um, Samari Torre, Austin Allen, and Jack Stoll. Those are the 18 significant players, in my opinion, that have been in the Frost era, which, of course, uh, none of them are actually Frost recruits for obvious reasons 
that Frost has only been here for four years. And so we really don't have much of a pool to pick from from that. But then current notable players during the Frost era have been Garrett Nelson, Nick Henrik, Luke Reimer, Xavier Betts, Ramir Johnson, and Omar Manning. Other than that, I went through every single player that Frost has had on his roster, ones that either, like I said, they've either stayed and graduate, graduated or are currently on our roster, there really isn't much to pick from. Um, these are great names, great players. They've, they've contributed a lot to our team, but not a single one of them ended up in the top three draft picks or top three rounds in the draft pick. Um, by no stretch of the imagination have they seen any sort of significant awards Aside from, you know, onesies and twosies. But, um, yeah, obviously a lot of notable players aren't Frost recruits simply because he's only been here for four seasons. An honorable mention that I do have is Adrian Martinez. Um, He is the only one I left off the list simply because he technically graduated, but he did do a graduation transfer to K-State, therefore not meeting my criteria. And then the last of notable players are notable players that transferred, which there's only five of them that I could possibly figure out. Um, We got number one, absolute standout player for Kentucky this year, Wandale Robinson. He had over 1,300 yards of reception or 1,300 yards receiving for this 2021 season. Uh, Number two, I had J.D. Spielman. Uh, He transferred to TCU, and then he ended up retiring uh, honestly, I think if he would have stayed around here, he would have been a lot more successful. Number three, as I stated before, is Adrian Martinez transferring to K-State. And this one's a little bit controversial. Um, Luke McCaffrey. I don't think he's a notable quarterback, but I only included him simply because I do think if he would have changed his position and used his athleticism elsewhere, he definitely mm-hmm. would have been able to contribute to our squad. And then last on the list is Greg Bell. Um, He ended up having a thousand yard rushing season this year at San Diego state. Um, So that's just kind of uh, some notable players uh, records, all that stuff. Um, I only have one more thing I wanted to talk about, which is just the coaching, the coaching staff and uh, coaching staff. And then just a, a goofy little, uh, statistic about our win-loss record that I'm sure we can talk about. But before I go just way into the weeds with all of that, um, in regard to uh, notable players and our win-loss record, uh, does anybody have anything significant that they want to add or comment on? I didn't realize that we were going to go into the uh, notable players portion of Scott Frost, but that is interesting. (laughs) I think you covered it all. Uh, when I was looking, you know, going over it in my head, I think you covered all of, uh, you know, the past players and the current players. Uh, I was waiting for you to say Marcus Fleming because I was a huge Marcus Fleming guy. I've always been a Marcus Fleming guy. So I always bring him up as a guy that transferred uh, to Maryland, even though he never panned out there. But I well, thought you got Mo Washington. He's a he's a yeah. cramp now. Isn't yeah. He? Yeah, yeah there were Brian, a few yeah, other yeah. ones like Marcus Fleming and then uh, uh, um, Tyjon Lindsay was another one that I considered, Oregon but yep. simply because they didn't really have like standout, yep. standout stats to really look at. The only, like I said, 
Luke McCaffrey was the only exception that I made just because of his pure athleticism. Not to say that Tyjon Lindsay um, or Marcus Fleming didn't have outstanding athleticism. I, I think I'm just, you know, pulling out the McCaffrey name because, well, he's a McCaffrey, but. Um, it's athletic. Yeah, I kind of took. What was that? Who was that uh, linebacker that we uh, that went to Oregon State too? Avery Roberts. 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 Yeah, he's he's looking good out there. Tackles this year. Yeah. As far as one on that state, I would have added Dedrick Mills in there. Oh yeah. Oh, Dedrick Mills. He's the last running back to lead Nebraska in in rushing yards. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Did Did Martinez? Beat out Ozigbo for rushing yards in eighteen. No, but I, I mean, Dedrick Mills, Mills came after Ozigbo. Okay, yeah, okay, um, yeah, Scott. I think you nailed everything that you know. Most of us already know. <laughs> it's been a it's been a rough sled for four years. I remember for me, uh, your mom and I were sitting on the couch watching his introductory press conference and literally holding back tears because, like, yeah, our boy's coming home. You know, and I remember how much shit he got as a quarterback while he was here that he didn't deserve. So that's probably why I've been such an apologist for most of the four years. But, you know, to be fair, I think the program's kind of been a little bit snake bit since that Akron game. When uh, it got rained out, I thought, oh, crap, even God hates us now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so and then you had the 0-6 start to 2018. We lo- we've lost every overtime game we've played that Frost has been here. The 2019 Colorado debacle, I'll never forget that. Couldn't find a decent kicker in 2019 after Pickering got hurt. Rumor has it, getting laid. Um, 2020 Illinois debacle. Um, or 2021, excuse or no, that was 2020, the uh, McCaffrey game. And our kicker that year was Big Ten kicker of the year, and then he couldn't find the middle of the uprights to save his ass starting this year. Uh, it's just been a comedy, literal comedy of error. To me, the mark of the Frost era, absolute mark of the Frost era, is self-destructing losses. Games basically won. Uh, Northwestern 2018, they come back from 14 freaking points or 10 points down and they beat us at the end of the game because we can't get out of our own way. That has been the mark of the Frost era. Uh, Though, I will say this, at the very, very end of everything, the last thing we expected was Shenander's defense to be good. So I kind (laughs) of give Frost a little bit of credit and maybe just by pure uh luck identifying a guy that's a pretty damn good defensive coordinator and is probably going to get himself a decent job somewhere in the next couple years if his defenses don't fall apart uh but anybody else got anything to say on on the on the frost era i know justin got plenty or tyler or well i i you know i I think Scott, you're going to get into some of the staff stuff but I, i when i think of the frost era i think it comes down to some critical mistakes he made early on i think the the decision to bring his whole ucf staff in retrospect, was a mistake. Um, yep. You know, they just weren't game I enough. I think the way that he went into recruiting early on, you know, he really wanted a teardown approach. I think his hubris about what his offense could be with the talent he had and the style of the Big Ten, th- these mm-hmm. were all misfires. But Ken, yeah. to your point, since then, like I've seen Scott Frost starting to make adjustments. I've, I've seen, I love what they've done for coaching staff going into 2022. But it's been comical, the reason we just haven't gone over the mark. Like, this year is a prime example. Like, there's a reason why the one loss has kept going and that, that we kept talking about how 
we were really, really good. We just couldn't win games and national media picked up on it. And I, and I do take these as signs that the, the program is correcting and Frost has kind of overcome some of his early mistakes, but it's been bad. It's been bad to start. Um, I just, I, I'm glad he's getting a leash long enough to fix it. Cause I do see the evidence that the wheels are turning that way. So the evidence is having to fire half, you know, or basically all of his offensive staff. Well, I think that the, the I mean, that's, that's a good thing. The replacement of the staff with different coaches was the, Redoing the mistake he made yeah. early on. I, I don't know if you listened to what I said when I said that was a mistake, but well, well, no, the other it, it was know, waiting to, four years to do it. Yeah, to to add to that, I mean, if, if you were to just put into like one word uh, describing uh, the Frost era, and it has to be a disaster, right? It's been a disaster, <laughs> and you know, the win loss record aside, that's one thing. We all know how bad that is. Uh, you know, we haven't finished better than fifth in the conference or in our division. Uh, last year, we finished dead last in the division. And then you mm-hmm. look at the the hires that he's had. He's headed into his fifth year. We're about to be on our third offensive coordinator. The first two yep. hires that he had just weren't the right guy, but he, he chose those guys. We're about to bring in our fourth different special teams coordinator in whatever mm-hmm. capacity, whether it's a coach or analyst or whatever. Yeah, he's making better decisions hiring but it's all because he's made such shitty decisions over the first four years. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely school of hard knocks to that. It's it's and, and you know it, it's hard to, it's hard to fault him for bringing his whole staff from UCF because they caught lightning in a bottle and they did what they did in the two years that they were there. <laughs> Part of me was kind of yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe he needs to get the grizzled old veteran to run his offense and his defense. But it turns out Shenander was pretty good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I hear you. It's, I, I wouldn't characterize it as disaster. I'd probably characterize it as floundering. This is what he's done for four years, especially yeah. on offense. Well, so it's like unclutch, unclutch, unclutch would be the word I would yeah. use. Well, Derek? Scott, you were talking about all the wins that Never mind. Scott Frost has had, right? And uh, whoever, you know, the records. I mean, the key thing is four years of playing and, you know, however many games that's been, you know, 44 or whatever. Zero signature wins. How yeah. many other coaches out there? I mean, you look at Brett Bielema in his first year. He has he's got signature wins out there. I mean, there's pe- people are getting signature wins all the time. It, it shouldn't be that hard to do. You shouldn't have to wait four years to even have a signature win. So all this progress, mm-hmm. okay, we're, we're playing within one score of good teams. Well, who do you freaking do? I mean, it, I don't know. It's, it's 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 been a disaster. There there are signs that it's uh, you know we want to think that with all the new hires that it's going to get better and it it can't get any worse. I think he's this bringing in some great guys, so there's a little bit of promise there. But the last four years, it's just a disaster. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that I think what we discussed on the last live stream that we did together or something, I don't remember if it was post recording or something, but. I, I truly believe that if if we didn't have the COVID 2020 season, I believe that Ryan Held, Mario Verdusco, Matt Lubick, and Greg Austin would have been canned already, and we would have had a completely different coaching staff this year. But I think Frost, mm-hmm. and like many other coaches, not to say that there weren't coaches that were willing to f- be willing to fire, or honestly, head coaches getting fired throughout COVID, but 
I think that uh, Frost felt a certain level of loyalty to his to his guys. Obviously, he's had loyalty to them for four years up to this point. Um, and it took all the way to this disastrous season before he was willing to let go and cut the ties between his uh, his uh, his brotherhood that he had over at UCF. And I think that it's you know he's he's making changes that have yet to pan out as good. But I mean, reading the writing on the walls with with these coaching hires, I think I think we're going in the right direction. But we won't know until we actually see it come to fruition. And Lord knows if that'll even happen. But uh, I'll just go through these uh, the seven assistant coaches in the last four years that we've gone through. And four of them obviously being fired in the last year. We had Troy Walters from 2018 to 2019 as our offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach. I mean, I I love the dude. I mean, his interviews, he was always an upstanding guy, but he just didn't pan out. And then Javon DeWitt, uh, he was our uh, outside linebacker and special teams coordinator from 2018 to 2019. Um, poor guy just was in bad health and ended up uh, departing to go to North Carolina. So can't really blame the guy there. And then, yeah, then like we said, Ryan Held, Mario Verdusco, Matt Lubick and Greg Austin, they're all gone. Um, and then the only, yeah, out of, out of these seven coaches that we've had, only Tony Tuioti and Javon DeWitt have left on their own, uh, on their own volition. So, mm-hmm. and Tony, uh, Tony Tuioti is the, upstanding guy that I wish he didn't go to Oregon, but I wish him the best of luck there. Um, And then like you said earlier, dad, that God, this, I think Frost would be gone already. He should have, he would have been gone years ago if we didn't have the defense that we did with Eric Shenander being our defensive coordinator, because he's pretty much been the cornerstone of our team, which is precisely the opposite of what Husker nation expected after hiring Frost. Um, And yeah, then we I got, think he's also been around because he's Frost. Yep. There is yeah, some privilege to is, being a former player. There really is. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I know. But I'm just saying that there wasn't hardly anything to hold on to with Frost for the first these last four years aside from the defense. There's There hasn't yeah. been any consistency in any room or any productivity in any room besides our defense collectively. Um and I mean, I guess I do got to give credit where it's due. Sean Beckton, I feel like, has done a pretty decent do- job at the tight end room when you consider the fact that we haven't actually seen a a like spotlight on the tight end room in regard to game plan. Um, but I think Sean Beckton has done a good job. He's been here. He's yep. an OG. Uh, these are the OGs that I got. You got Eric Shenander, Sean Beckton, Mike Dawson, which – I mean, he technically went away to the Giants for a season, but then he came back. Um, and then Travis Fisher and Barrett Rood. Those are the guys that are still here and still doing pretty dang good uh, work for the Huskers. But that's pretty much a reflection of our coaching staff. Um, and it's been definitely down, but there have been some ups to look at. Um, and it's just a, like what we said earlier, it's going to be, you know, a, a pain in the butt next season if if uh if if these coaching hires don't actually pan out frost yep. will be gone they will all be fired and eric shenander will probably be one of the few guys that actually goes somewhere else and, and ends up successful i hope um but yeah okay. that's kind of my 
coaching staff reflection. And uh, I've talked about this before. This is the last point I wanted to make in, in, in regard to uh, reflecting on the frost era. Uh, it's the 2021 season anomaly of losing eight games by one score or less and only one game by more than that. And that was against Ohio state where we lost by nine. Um, this last 2021 season, if, if every single one score game in the entire college football landscape were flipped the other way, the most notable team that the college football subreddit um, were unanimously talking about was our beloved Scarlet and Cream. Um, <laughs> because the East Division would have finished with Ohio State on top being 11 and 11 or 11 and 1. Uh, and the West division would have finished with Nebraska on top being 11 and one. And right. oddly enough, Alabama would have finished the regular season eight and four. Um, but the playoff contenders through that, uh, through that rubric, I guess it would be, uh, Pittsburgh at 10 and two, Ohio state at 11 and one, Nebraska 11 and one Cal at nine and two. Uh, Utah 11 and one and Georgia 11 and one. Those would be the playoff contenders. If that fantasy season of one score losses flipped the other way would have panned out. Right. Um, so that's just a, that's just a fun little, it's fun. I don't know what fun really is if that's my definition of fun, but, uh, it's just fun little, fun little fact to reflect on. Well, overall, um, that's okay. a depressing topic there to start out with Scott. You're yeah, welcome. It, it is. It is. But <laughs> but we really should move on to the next one since we've got five more to go. Derek, what uh, what do you have on your mind tonight? What topic do you want to talk about? All right. Well, I'm going to talk about the best returning uh, gr- position group on offense and defense. With offense, I, w- I went with wide receivers. And it was kind of by a process of elimination. Uh, we we're not sure what's coming back running back. We know we're losing three out of our five starters on, on the offensive line. We really don't know what's coming in at, at quarterback as far as starting goes. And, and tight ends, you're looking at Travis Volkelik probably starting, but I, I'm not 100% sure that he's better than all of our wide receivers, I guess. So I went kind of with the process of elimination with wide receivers there. I, I do think Omar Manning showed a lot of, of – uh, Potential. He did throw uh, catch six of his eight contested passes last year. Uh, graded one of the highest in PFF in the PFF reception grade. Uh, you, you add in the, the Dakota's Crawford and Trey Palmer, and you get Xavier Betts involved more, and you got the best one of the best uh, wide receiver coaches coming in to help them out. I mean, I, to me, wide receivers was the easy answer on offense. Defense was a little tougher, but I, I went with the linebacking core. Just I, if you want me to be a little more specific, I would say probably inside backers more than outside because they were having to replace less. But I went with the linebacker core as a whole. Uh, man, you got Henrik and and Reimer both coming back. Both of them, one of them had 109 tackles, the other one had 99. Yep, both had really good seasons. Uh, Garrett Nelson. I believe – I don't know if he finished uh, number one, but I know he was number one through most of the season for tackles for loss. Uh, I think he did end up getting passed towards the end of the season, but uh, he, he was exciting. He also had five sacks. Uh, man, I, mm-hmm. the, the linebackers excite me. I, the secondary is a little more scary, but the linebackers excite me for this coming up season. <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, Derek, I, I was going to say that I, you and I are perfectly aligned here because that's what I wrote down as well. Uh, I wrote down wide receivers with Mickey Joseph coaching great talents uh, like Xavier Betts, Omar Manning. I'm pretty high on Elante Brown, Oliver Martin's returning. And then, yeah, we've got LSU transfer Trey Palmer. And then uh, most, well, I guess it's not really recent, but it's still recent enough. New Mexico transfer, Isaiah Garcia, Casaneda. Um, he seems like a really good prospect for us. We could really have a deep wide receiving room and that's not to mention our unproven talent behind them. I won't list off those names cause you listed off a few of them, but, um, I do think that Mickey Joseph could seriously provide a level of gameplay that we have yet to see in the frost I, tenure. I, I really think he's a game changer. I, I think he I is, do. I do too. He's coached he, some he really quality ground a lot, talent. I believe. Derek, can I, ask, can I ask a question for you and Scott, actually? If it wasn't for the uh, Mickey Joseph dynamic, would you still say wide receiver was going to be the best position group headed into 2022? Probably. It's the only, it's um, only position we have with returning production. Yeah, I would say that it's True. it's at that point, it's probably a coin flip uh, between wide receivers and um, – Running backs, and, right? And there's and running yeah. backs. We probably have the most um, experience coming back on running backs. Yeah, well, we don't even know who's gonna and be there's playing. a lot of experience. <laughs> really? I mean, at least you have than... a general idea who's gonna be playing with wide receivers. With running backs, you have no clue. I, well, think, I mean it's it's, and... it's gonna be about three guys, right? You know, Ramir Johnson uh thought that last year too. Irvin's gonna be in the mix now that he's healthy. Uh probably step yeah. and or step more Gant or step. You can do an either or there. And then we've got the transfers coming in too. Yeah. We got some yeah. good talent. You know what, Derek? I'm with you too. I'm I'm wide receiver. There's 13 guys in that room right now that all of them were recruited and were talked about quite a bit by uh by Frost and Company. I mean, you've got Manning, Betts, Lewer, Martin, Palmer, Castaneda, Jones, Victor Jones Jr.'s coming in. His dad was a beast in the NFL. Uh, the coldest Crawford with the coolest name in college football. Um, Alante Brown, Will Nixon, Camonte Grimes, Sean Hardy, Latrell Neville. I mean, there's a ton of dudes in that room that Joseph has to work with. My only concern with that position group is that there's a ton of guys in that room that Mickey Joseph has to work with and how many of them are actually going to stick around if they're not going to see any playing time. Uh, but, Interesting note about Mickey Joseph. I read this the other day. He made all of his wide receivers at LSU catch 10,000 passes from Joe Burrow in the offseason. And then they went and won a national championship. So if Did you guys know gonna... that Scott Frost didn't want Joe Burrow. Well, yes, yeah, everybody I, I knows. Heard that. Wait, wait, I think wait. I've heard that before. Is that breaking news? Do you still really <laughs> think that Joe Burrow changes Man. anything? With the offensive line I'm, strolled out there, you think Joe Burrow's I'm just Burrow's absolutely shocked right now. I'm shocked. To answer, that que- to answer your question, Derek, yes. I think Joe Burrow, when you look at what he's done at the NFL level, like he is emerging as a top five quarterback. That's like saying, oh, I wonder if good offensive Brady. line in front of him. I'm not saying he's but not, not good quarterback. Their offensive line is trash in Cincinnati. That That is and the number one position they need to draft. Now, yes, he has Jamar Chase, and that is the best offensive wide receiver. But, yes, to answer your question, Joe Burrow does change it. However, we should have got there him. are a lot we of teams. Him. Okay, fine. But we had a returning – we had Adrian Martinez. We had Tristan Jibby at the time. Like, we didn't need a quarterback. We were kicking quarterbacks off the team at that point in time. Patrick O'Brien, who 
went on and started at Colorado State, which we left off. Like, we were kicking quarterbacks off the roster at that point. Like, no one knew Joe Burrow was going to be Joe Burrow. Like, I apologize for bringing that up. It's just <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. We all move on. I didn't think we'd debate. I just, <laughs> I just I, I've heard this a lot, like, of, of the thing. Like, of course, yes, hindsight's twenty twenty. It'd be great if we had brought in a top seven NFL quarterback. It'd be great if, like, 100 or 30, 108 picks didn't pass on Tom Brady. Like, I, Man, I also yeah, don't think Mario. I also don't think Mario Verduzco could have turned to turn Joe Burrow into. One. He would have yeah, ruined put, him. Yeah, put him under Mario Verduzco and see where he would have ended up. He would have ended up with two bad ankles and a fucked up knee. <laughs> That's where he would have ended up. <laughs> so yeah, uh, defense. Uh, but, Does anybody yeah. have any other comments about uh, like defense? Mine's inside to... linebacker too. I'm I'm right there with you, Derek. It's inside linebacker for me. Is that is too. the Good, good position. Who, How about who you, doesn't you have guys? inside? Who doesn't have inside linebackers? Well, I had linebacker and wide receiver as well, but like kind of thinking about it, um, our DBs could uh, be a, a strength, I think, next year. Especially the talent, with uh, uh, Farmer. Yeah. But There's the some talent, guys the back there. there for it. I just don't. The, the talent the is there. Not experienced, yeah. though. Yep. Yeah. No, not a lot of experience. They could surprise I was just. I was just trying to go outside the box a little bit because I had the same exact um, uh, two positions groups. And I was thinking maybe, you know, why not the DBs, even though they're going to be young. But I think that they have the ability to step up and uh, really make a mark on our team next year. I think with the defense, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I see your point, Chris, but. You know, inside linebackers, that's the obvious choice for defense. I think it does get interesting on the offensive side of the ball because you talk about the wide receivers, and there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of potential names. So if you if it was like which which position group on offense has the most potential for next season, it it's easily wide receivers. But the best headed into 2022, I think there's a good argument to be made that it is the running backs with all of their uh and I don't understand how you're making experience. an argument considering you didn't even think we had a good running back on our damn roster. They they have the experience. finishing off the season. It, I mean if you look at the wide receivers last year, I mean they were probably one of the more disappointing groups on offense with all the talent that we thought. I mean Omar Manning, Omar Manning wasn't great. Oh, Oliver Martin, he completely shit the bed, and he we thought okay. he was going to be. Well, Oliver Martin uh, got injured, and I think there's something to be said. I, I I think to redirect Justin from the hate train he's on right now, <laughs> um, tight. I think a position we're not talking enough about is tight end. Yeah, um, I mean you, yeah. Have, you have Travis Vogel. Yeah, the, the problem Bidone. is you're going off only potential with 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 tight end. Fair, fair enough, but Thomas Bedon was a near five star. Chris Hickman has seen some meaningful snaps. I mean, you you do have some guys there, and Vokalek. I mean, if you go back to what he we thought he was going to be this year, 2020 had a better year than he had in 2021. Injuries definitely derailed him and the emergence of Austin Allen. Um, yeah. You show up, you have Sean Becton, I still think is one of our better coaches. I mean, I know everyone's high on Mickey Joseph, but I still like Sean Becton. I, I think tight ends is in kind of that. That that was my debate, would have been wide receiver tight end. I went back and forth between the two myself. Yeah. I really did. And I just went with wide receiver because I know there's three or four more guys on that side, on that position group that made plays last year i mean our playmaker at tight end is gone uh so vocal x is good block he's a good blocker he's got good hands the the real reason i really like tight end is not only thomas fedoni's potential but chancellor brewington 
that dude can deplete some people. Have you seen those blocks he makes on the goal line? If we ever get down there, that dude goes out and just kills people. <laughs> if I we ever get down there, well, he, if we he ever does. get down there, yeah. And, and, and I know <laughs> everyone loves Austin Allen, and they talk about him. That I, I think he's a really good player, but there's a reason why he's probably not going to get drafted. Like, let's, he's not yeah. like a transcendent talent like you look at mock drafts he's not listed and he's good he was a really good player and I'm, we're gonna miss him but i just i think a lot of the scheme set wish him up come success. Back. and yeah i wish he would have come back um but yeah maybe he maybe he ends up sneaking in he does well in combines but like i just think at the end of the day like i think the scheme and the way we set him up and i think vocalek and fedoni and a lot of the guys i mean you go down aj rollins i think these guys can set up in a position where they can take snaps and make have the similar yep. process yeah i think my main reason for picking the wide receiving room even though i think honestly if you just look at our entire offense as a whole we really can it's it's very close in each room which one we could pick for our best position group because it really honestly is based on potential not really proven uh, talent. Um, and the yeah. reason why I guess the main reason why I picked wide receivers is because of the tandem between Whipple and Joseph conspiring together. Um, cause I think that Whipple can, you know, no pun intended, whip up a really good offensive scheme that gets our quarterback or our wide receivers open for our quarterback to actually throw it to. And then I think Joseph can scheme with Whipple to really, really, uh, highlight the talent in that room. Um, that, but that once again, that's based on potential of Whipple and Joseph, not obviously improving, uh, being able yep. to prove it here yet. Cause they're all first year coaches, uh, at Nebraska specifically. Um, so that was, that was probably one of the solidifying reasons why I picked wide receivers is because of Whipple and Joseph okay. conspiring together. I want to ask you guys each a question. I'll eat, ask each of you. Uh, who is our best player on offense headed into 2022? Scott, who would you say our best player on offense is? Xavier Betts. Xavier Betts. Okay. Uh, Derek? I'd probably lean a little more towards Omar Manning. Omar Manning? Uh, Tyler? I'd go Omar Manning. If only we're going to have a topic about best players coming back, but that's Do we? fine. Uh, that's no, all Big Ten players? All Big Ten, all conference players. All, pot, oh, you you actually think? Okay, is there going to be a guy on offense? Yeah, that's why Omar Manning is mine. Okay, Chris. Um, I would be either on the Ramir Johnson or um, Casey Thompson. Are my two? Okay, good. Ken. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck on on Casey Thompson to be honest with you, uh, just because I think on our offense and you know. He passed for 10 more touchdowns than Martinez did last year, and he threw one less interception. And I think he had arguably just as crappy an offensive line in front of him as Adrian did. So, hmm. um, yeah, I'd put Casey Thompson in there if we get any kind of a line play, which that's the – let's be honest, guys. That's the wild card in this entire upcoming season is an offensive line sure. coached by a guy in his very first job as a lead offensive line coach. So, But, yeah, Casey Thompson would be mine. Okay. I think the benefit for Casey too is that our defense is probably going to be not top in the Big Ten, but it's going to be up there in the in the league. And he did not have a top defense with Texas no. whatsoever. No, I mean he, he threw he threw what 
five or six touchdowns versus Kansas, and he still lost. He's he threw six and he ran for one. Oh, that was what it was. Okay, yeah, he still freaking lost. So yeah, yeah. that's bad defense. Or there son in, of a bitch in Horns yeah. Land. So yeah, did somebody <laughs> was there anybody else that hadn't answered that question yet? No, I think, I, I think you asked it, Justin. Do you have a well, player, best player coming back? The best player in 2022 on offense, it might be Ramir Johnson from what he can do uh, catching out of the backfield. I mean, I, I don't know. They're, 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 I, I'm interested in that question because I don't think there's a lot of obvious choices out there. I mean, it's it's wide open. Uh, Omar Manning, I don't think Omar Manning, he didn't set the world on fire last year. Uh, Xavier Betts, I mean – well, I don't know what was going on with Xavier Betts. I, I think he, had, he was one of those guys that had a lot of potential, but uh, sometimes they would even play him. You know, I, I, he wouldn't even see the field. So I, it was kind what, of a weird dynamic d- dynamic there. For, with what him. would you pick uh, if you were to compare Ramir Johnson, a 100% healthy Ramir Johnson versus a 100% healthy Gabe Irvin? Would you still pick Ramir? Oh, that's tough. I don't know. That is tough. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I would lean more towards uh, Gabe almost, for his versatility. I almost lean toward Irvin over Thompson myself. Did, did we ever get to see oh, Gabe really? Irvin at his best, though? Not really, but we saw it was close. He was, was kind of like the whole team. <laughs> he was this close? He was like the whole team. We were this close to winning Just a lot of games close? last year, and yeah. he was this close to breaking some stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I think – you know what? Here's what I say about the running back position and about guys that I think that could be really, really good. I think they've got a really good coach. They got a coach coming in that that uh, is going to make a difference. Which um, for me, that's the group that needs to make the biggest jump in 2022. But that's your topic, Justin. So I'm not going to step on you too bad. <laughs> Why don't right, you go well, ahead and kick right, off? So- that is my topic. Which position group needs to make the biggest jump in 2022? So when I uh, came up with this question, I thought it would be a unanimous decision. It would be like offensive line. Offensive line was so piss poor last year to start yeah. off the season. They were like uh, one of the worst power five offensive lines in the country. And they improved to like maybe to be like the 40th worst offensive line. Right. And then, you know, and we're we're gonna be losing our best offensive lineman, Cam Jurgens at center. Yeah. And Matt Sickerman, which I think he probably has an argument to be made that he might have been our second best offensive lineman last year. Uh you take those two guys out of there, I mean, it, it's gonna be a huge challenge. And then for uh Casey Thompson. Casey Thompson didn't have a great offensive line at Texas. He struggled behind that. I mean, if we don't improve there, what makes you think that we can be successful again? The offensive line, that was a lot to attribute to why the running game didn't work. Uh, I mean, there's there's a shitload of reasons, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts. But, Ken, since you're different, I want to ask you, Ken, uh, elaborate on your running backs. Well, I think the running backs need to make the biggest jump because I think they need to take a lot of pressure off uh, the quarterback. I mean, we're going into an offense that we don't know what it's going to be. We don't know if Mark Whipple is going to completely rely on Casey Thompson to go get those three yards on third down like it seemed like we did with Martinez all the freaking time, uh, which is why he was always dinged up. So for me, running back has to be productive. And I know I completely agree with you. I would have gone offensive line. 
if it weren't for the fact that we've seen potential all up and down our running back roster. And it seems like every year, one or two of those guys that have potential are leaving, like Savion Morrison and Marvin Scott did this year. So for me, when you've got a position group that produced a total of 1,329 yards on 301 attempts at 4.41 yards per carry average, and your quarterbacks produced damn near half of that, if not a little over half of that, uh, that's that's scary to me. I think we need the running backs to be better. And that, of course, is going to depend on what Riola does with the offensive line, right? Yeah. Um, so the best running back we had last year, obviously, yardage-wise, was Ramir Johnson, 495 yards. Uh, he averaged right at 4.4 yards per carry. He was second on the team in rushing behind Martinez. I guarantee you, in a Whipple offense, Casey Thompson is not going to likely be our leading rusher. So there's some dudes in that room that need to absolutely step up. Uh, so <clears throat> I think Applewhite is definitely an upgrade at running back coach. I think he he had two his two running backs at TCU in the two years he was there. They averaged over seven yards per carry the two years he was there. Um, so and he's got he's got that Ron Brown mentality that just that get after it, get mean, don't mess around, attack the day every day. Uh, and he played fullback in college. So who knows? Maybe, maybe Whipple likes to run some eyes. So maybe you see Yant jump in there at an eye formation, or maybe Whipple likes some of the stuff that Tim Beck did back in the day. And you see some of them talented running backs surrounding Casey Thompson in that diamond or triangle formation or whatever the hell that was that was pretty productive under Tim Beck. So uh, I, and they really need to average about 200 yards per game. And at that position, uh, in order to take a lot of pressure off the passing game and uh, and keep a lot of that stuff out of Casey Thompson's face, and like you said, though, all starts up front. But I think behind that offensive line, you've got to have some dudes that aren't aren't afraid to stick their nose up in there and get it bloodied. So Chris, how about back, you? I, Which position? I, I I have to go with the offensive line because that that's where everything uh, starts. You know, if we can have a a good offensive line. Our running backs are going to have holes to get to wherever they need to be. Um, mm-hmm. Casey Thompson's going to be able to pass with a clean pocket. And I think things will roll, you know, smoothly with a, a, a very strong offensive line. I mean, just imagine having a 200 yard per game rusher. You know what I mean? It's, it would just change. Everything for Nebraska, I think, you know, getting back to the roots of the 90s in a way, you know, uh, you know, getting like maybe kind of like the Amar Green or Lawrence Phillip days, you know, where they Stop were just trying to go back to the 90s, damn it. Trucking. We need those, All right, need I'll, those go to, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Mike Rozier then. He, he, he averaged 7.3 through his whole career. How about that? Yeah. Let's get into the yeah, 60s exactly. now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Derek, I I just want to add into a little bit what you were talking about, Justin. Nebraska ranked 126 out of 130 teams in pass block when it comes to the PFF grades. Like our mm-hmm. pass block was atrocious; it was <sighs> terrible. The next worst team was Iowa, who was ranked 101st. Really? Yeah, that is oh, a Big Ten. That was, a, that was the closest Big Ten team to us. <laughs> okay, I did not know that. Uh, Good burn on Iowa. I I I, I want to talk to. Uh, Ken, a little bit about he was talking about Adrian Martinez leading the team yeah. in rushing again. 
Well, according to PFF, Adrian Martinez scrambled for 415 yards. Scrambled. Yeah. I mean, yeah. his offensive line wasn't doing their damn job. This had yeah. nothing to do with uh, with the offensive staff relying too much on Adrian Martinez. Had to do with the fact the offensive line wasn't blocking for him. He had to make something out of nothing. He had, well, 500, he had 525 chastised. total Thank rushing you. yards. <laughs> he had 525 total rushing yards. 415 of them came on scrambles. And yeah. if our offensive line didn't suck so bad, he wouldn't have all those yards. Nope. That, Ramirez right. probably would have. But he also probably has more passing yards. He probably looks better overall. I mean, yeah. I it was just it. I, the the uh, offensive line also accounted for twenty seven of the thirty seven offensive penalties that we had. And Tyler, you roll your eyes, but how many of those were drive killers? How many times well, did we get? How many times did we get a holding call, and all of a sudden you could just just well punt it away because you know we ain't going anywhere after that. Well, Derek, Derek I don't disagree with you. You're right that they were killers. I rolled my eyes because I think, well, who else is going to commit offensive penalties? Like false starts are general. I mean, holdings are offensive. Line. I mean, most yeah. offensive penalties are offensive line. I feel like that's the quarter. How many offensive penalties do you see on a quarterback? That not many. Probably more than we should have with uh, intentional groundings in the end zones. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, that's uh, those hurt. <laughs> Anybody that else hurts. got anything on that topic? Uh, I think everybody else is probably yeah. going to be offensive line, right? Well, I mean, I, I I went a little bit against the grain, but it is still a tie in my uh, idea of position group that needs to make the biggest jump and i had a tie between special teams and offensive line um because both of those position groups will need a shit ton of work but i (laughs) if i were to pick between the two which one i'm more confident in changing it would be special teams taking a jump with a historically proven bill bush taking the first special teams coordinator position in the frost era whoop-de-doo um, and less confident in the unproven Donovan Raiola taking over our offensive line. Um, reason why I think special teams is probably where I lean a little bit more towards is just because of how many points we left on the field that yeah. just didn't result in victories. Uh, if we would have been able to just be even slightly better at our punting, we would have won against uh, Michigan State. If we would have been better at kicking field goals, we would have won a couple other games like just those tiny little minute details, I think go a long way. Would I rather see our offensive line improve? Like if I had to pick between, you know, both staying stagnant, like if special teams stayed the exact same way and offensive line made a huge jump, I would pick offensive line. Cause I think we can work a little bit with that. Um, but I'm picking strictly off of what team, what, group could make the most improvement. And I think special teams does, especially with Montana transfer punter, Brian Bushini, which I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of cute that uh, we've got Brian Bush, Eni with uh, Bill Bush. <laughs> so, you know, they're the Bush brothers. Um, they need some Bush lights um, on the field. At we've all times. got Bush. I was just going to say. That shirt. I want that shirt. I gotta, oh. I gotta say, you just hit, hit on one of my biggest pet peeves in the world, and the cousins know this. And if you listen to the cousins, you know this is by saying we finally have a special teams coach. We've had special teams coaches, but you not by him not being a solo guy doesn't mean we haven't had them. And, and if you say, well, that doesn't count, 
well, then Alabama, Penn State, Michigan, Illinois, uh, FSU, Clemson, Auburn, none of them have special teams coaches. And it's not we like we didn't have one in 2020, Tyler. We had one year we didn't have one. And it's not like people this year are going to say, well, why don't you have a quarterback coach? We, I mean, you have an offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach. I mean, it's a, people do dual duties all the time in college football. I just, that pet peeve of mine, like, I, I know. Ever and, hired and, a special teams coach. And my pushback, like, my pushback for that is as you like try and navigate through life, if there's an area where you ex- like struggle precipitously, you have to get a specialist in that area. Like if you struggle immensely on special teams, you have to make an immense effort to change that area. It's yes, there are other teams that have dual purpose coaches that do a multiplicity of responsibilities, but it's because for whatever reason at that time, the framework that they're working with is working. And so they can, they can afford to get those dual duties. And this is the first special teams coordinator, solo coordinator that we've had with frost. Um, and that, that alone for me, I think is important because we have struggled so poorly on special teams that we needed to actually set aside one area for one guy to do one job that hasn't been, that hasn't been done and that hasn't there. been completed. I will agree with you there. Right. I, I think that is a very valid point. Like that, the fact that he is emphasizing this enough to say, we have one guy that's the only thing I want you to do. Bill Bush is make us not suck ass at special teams. <laughs> Please just don't make us lose games because of this. I- I think I it'll think that, change. I do think that matters. That. I think it will change. Like if let's say we start to get really successful on special teams, or at least get somewhere in the middle of the pack, I very well could see some more organiza- like reorganizing of the coaching staff, where we 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 can take a responsibility and put it on Bill Bush's plate, or remove a responsibility from someone else. I don't know, but right now, I think the the primary focus that we need to have is have one guy look at a, at a, at a, at a, a whiteboard and only have one topic that he needs to focus on so that our guys can get focused in on one thing and one thing alone from one guy, you know, just like that alone for me is, is, is important. Um, could have we done without it? Sure. But you know, the definition of insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so we've got to do something to break against that grain. And I think that Bill Bush could help us. We don't know, but I think he has a good potential to do so. And I know we've had good special teams recruits in the past that haven't panned out, but I mean, this could be the same thing with the Montana punter and the Furman kicker, Uh, Timmy. I like his name, Timmy. Tim uh, Tim Big Road. B-L-E-E-K-R-O-D-E. That's a weird ass name. Hope he can kick a football. Yep. So that's just won't my. Be, uh, that's my. In any losses, maybe. <laughs> culpable. <laughs> oh, speaking of speaking of special team stuff, I got a pair of shoes from uh from Lane McCollum. So that's kind of cool. I got a pair of Adidas high tops from him. Um, the guy who kicked the uh, game-winning field goal against uh, Northwestern, Northwestern, wasn't it? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, that got blocked, but it still went through. Uh, How'd you get those? Uh, he was selling them Bought on them. Facebook. <laughs> he was uh, he was selling them on Facebook. He was selling a bunch of merchandise uh, post graduation, and 
I freaking love Adidas high tops. I got to I got to flex these for a moment. Yeah, check out these fucking bad boys. Look at them. Good. Hey, the uh-huh. team might suck, but at least they had cool looking kicks. Yeah. So, I you know, I dropped a little bit more money than I would have wanted to, but Are you going to wear them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'll wear them once. At least once. And he's uh, probably going to come on our podcast somewhere. Between yes, yes. Lane McCollum is actually so. going to uh, awesome. probably. He we'll said he's down can, for it. So it's. See it's, if we uh, can dig into uh, some of the culture or whatnot in the program. I mean, I don't want to betray any kind of locker room, you know, brotherhood packed. and that kind of stuff. But Unspoken rules. Anyway. Hey, add me in on the post-show uh, conversation. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Very Shoot, well. We might just include you on the whole show conversation. How's that sound? Awesome. <laughs> We are not recording, so everything you say is going to be between us. We won't Twitter it. Nothing. No insider sources. Like, pinky promise. Oh, man. (laughs) Um, So, I think everybody was basically is gone on that topic, haven't we? uh, Biggest. You're up. I am. Woohoo. Uh, what will Casey Thompson's impact be in 2022? That's my, my topic tonight. I think in the Whipple offense, he, he has the potential of leading Nebraska to six to eight wins, mainly because of the Shenander defense. He did not have a Shenander defense at Texas, obviously, as the Oklahoma game and the Kansas game proved. Uh, I also think he has the potential to equal Martinez in passing yards this season and has the athleticism to at least use his legs if he needs to. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of called runs for Casey Thompson. Hell, I'm not even sure we're going to run all that much option with him. I know Frost seems to really like that. Uh, But for me, for 2022, with Whipple, with, um, with hopefully a better running game, I think he can throw for about 2,600 to 2,800 yards. Martinez threw for just over 2,800, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Casey could throw for 26 to 2,800 with around 25 TDs and possibly 8 to 10 interceptions, which seems like that's what we do around here anyway. So, uh, And according to OU insider and former quarterback Dean Blevins, Casey Thompson is a high-character kid. He gets the respect of his teammates, and he is very well-liked by his coaches. Uh, and in the running back, and if the running back room can produce that seventeen hundred to two thousand yards in two thousand twenty-two, then I think Thompson could have a really good year, especially in the play-action game. What do you guys think? How about you, um, Tyler? What do you think on Casey? Well, I, I'm high on him. Um, I, you know, I, I think he could be very successful here in Lincoln. Um, I will say though, I don't know if it's a hundred percent he is our starter game one. You know. Right. I think we've got guys that can compete. Uh, Chubba Purdy was just on campus. He would make the room a little bit more interesting if he ends up committing. Um, I, I do think he is a pretty solid front runner. Um, and I think he's a huge get. He, he is a guy that I, I could see being a catalyst of major uh, forward looking changes at Lincoln. Kind of getting us back to that, not just relevant, not just the six to eight mark. And maybe that's the target this year, but maybe he's a guy that can get us to that nine, 10 win mark again. And I think he is that type of talent because everything we've talked about, like he isn't the reason 
they lost a couple of those games in Texas. He put up big stats there. Um, I I think he's a home run get. I'm I'm aligned there. How about you, Justin? Uh, he's a fine urban. get. <laughs> he, he's a fine get. I mean, I don't know how great he's. I don't know how much improved he's going to be over Martinez uh, over the long haul. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this on the podcast last week. He didn't even win the starting position at Texas until the third game. He got beat out by a second-year freshman. He was a fourth-year guy coming into the program last year. He got beat out by a second-year freshman. Hudson Card was his name. Uh, he played fine. Uh, he, re- he really struggled in the second half. Uh, he put up some good numbers, but he struggled in the second half. He got benched twice last year against Iowa State and West Virginia. Had mm-hmm. Hudson Card not been injured when he came in for relief of him in West Virginia, I mean, Hudson Card probably would have started their final game. Uh, he played against a lot of teams in the Big 12. The Big 12 isn't known for defense. Five of the teams that he played against, you know, they were ranked 80th or below in uh, total defense. Three of those teams, including Kansas, they were uh, ranked 100 or below. So right. when he comes to the Big uh, to the Big Ten in Nebraska, you know, he's still going to have a uh, an offensive line that is trying to figure shit out. He's going to yep. play a, against a hell of a lot of better defenses than what he saw there. Uh, a new system. I mean, he was a four-year guy finally getting his chance to start. And now he's going to come in with one year to – or half a year to learn a whole new offense – yeah, I'm with Tyler. I mean, it's like there's no guarantee that he is going to start. And if he does, is he going to be that much better than the guy that we had before? And, I, and I'm not so sure. Uh, everybody likes those 24 touchdowns and nine interceptions that he had. Uh, but, you know, he had six touchdowns against Kansas, and then uh, he had five touchdowns against two other teams, Oklahoma was included, which is fine. But they right. damn near choked in that Oklahoma game because they couldn't score in the second half. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, he was probably the best quarterback that Nebraska was going to be able to get out of the transfer portal. I mean, that's just where we were. Uh, so, I mean, he best available. Uh, I'm not sold on him. <laughs> Tyler saying boo, Justin. Come on, man. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to piss in your Wheaties, but, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, everybody that's, like, thinking that he's going to be the savior of the program they're just like drinking way too much Kool-Aid and they're not being realistic. I mean, he's he's a fine get, get not a great get. Devil's advocate. Got to keep it. He wouldn't be happy I, if, we, if we were bringing in Patrick Mahomes. Justin no, he'd be like, you, you remember that interception? I mean, he, he didn't earn the starting job one day one in Kansas City. I mean... I mean, geez, nope. it's it's not really. I mean, how could you go for him, right? He got be- so he got benched in his second to last game at Texas. Got benched. You know, he was injured. I, I know the injury he was matter. I know he was matter unless like it's a, six, a, six seven weeks. Yeah, he before. was. He was literally playing with a thumb that could barely grip the football. He adjusted, but that his happened grip in Oklahoma. For the rest of I mean, the he season. swollen, but it was. So how do you know he didn't re-injure it? And they still thought that he was a better option than Hudson Card, who had a healthy thumb. Because hey, he I was mean, he was hurt. Shit, almost Scott the Frost rest of played the year. a guy with a broken jaw over our backup. I mean, yeah, exactly my point. You don't need your jaw to throw. Do you think our backup off. was better? 
And we just I'm do not clap sure Logan Smothers anyway. would have got us any more than three and nine. I, I mean, hey, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. But I haven't been wrong the last four years. So. Well, here's what we've got. We've got competition in the room, at least, that's beyond just, you know, a four-year dude that's been there that's just going to be automatically anointed the starter. At least there's going to be three guys that are really going to have to fight for the position. I don't think he was promised to start. I think he was promised a lot of money from Casey's convenience stores. But I don't think he was promised to start. Is that true? Uh, is, is that what does he have I an NIL don't deal? No, but okay. I think there's a pretty good chance that he walks into a Casey's and does a commercial and say, Come here where I shop, you know, kind of deal and makes a million bucks over the next year. So their who breakfast knows, pizza but, sucks, by the way. Oh god, most of their pizza sucks unless you get it absolutely fresh right out of the oven and then you're willing to suffer third degree burns inside your mouth <laughs> scott's um, a big fan of the breakfast pizza i see no i just i just like their pizza their breakfast pizza does suck donkey balls but regular pizza is good i'm not a fan of breakfast pizza period but their pizza yeah. high v's breakfast sure. pizza is good dude you guys are insane breakfast pizza is the best pizza especially when they put gravy as the the, the base sauce come on you don't put you don't gravy. tell them yeah. you don't put them don't tell them to put cheese Tell them to put the breakfast gravy on it. Chris, your beard is way too big to be eating a lot of gravy, okay? I mean, oh, it don't matter. Save, it I think, save it for later, baby. Yeah, buddy. That's right. Way too, way too. Yeah, okay. Late well, all right. Snack. Now that we've gone completely well. down that road, um, <laughs> anybody else got anything on Casey Thompson? Um, uh, well, I've got – I just hope that he can at least – provide a clutch mentality and like justin said i mean we don't really have a very good uh resume for his second half uh gameplay but if at the very least he can provide a clutch mentality to secure the final few minutes of of each game like that would that would be a monumental improvement and Um, he wasn't clutch at texas i mean he sucked in the second half in at least three games yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the part that I was worried about, but we won't know until we see it. Um, Cause I just, I think that was the Achilles heel of our offense. Yeah. You can't really put it all on Martinez, but you kind of right. can when he just found, he was the, you know, the choke meister, the most unclutch quarterback I've ever had the pain of watching. Um, and we're just going to have to see. And I think if anybody can tap into Thompson's bag of tools and extract the highest level of potentiality, uh, Mark Whipple, he's, he could probably do it. Um, yeah. But he's, we, he's we're got, not going to two know. years to work with him. He's, yeah. Casey's Ho- hopefully. Two, right? Hopefully because Mark Whipple, he needs at least two years to work with Casey Thompson. Yeah, he I needs, think. he needs, if we can go six and six, which we'll get to that. But uh Yeah. I had one uh, thing to add for it or whatnot. Yeah, Chris, the unfortunate truth is that Nebraska is not in the like realm of getting these top quarterbacks. So like in a way, I think Casey Thompson is maybe the, the bin that we're in and it's not a bad bin to be in. I think Casey Thompson can be a good player, especially with some of the games he did have. Yeah, they were against uh like subpar defenses, but he ha at least has the vision to, you know, get these wide receivers and running backs the ball. 
I think he might be a little bit more of an improvement than um, Adrian Martinez in terms of turnovers as well. I kind of did a tally on Adrian Martinez and over his career, he had like 50 plus um, turnovers at Nebraska. So I think Casey Thompson will be a little bit of an improvement. Is is he much more of an improvement? I'm not sure, but I think he is an improvement over Martinez. We will find out. I have yeah. one bold prediction. This is my bold prediction based on no facts. It's it's only based on me just wanting to be spiteful. Um, I predict that Casey Thompson leads us to victory on two different game occasions on two different game-winning drives, which is two more than Martinez ever had. <laughs> Cheap shot, Scott. Cheap, Cheap shot. <laughs> Adrian had a couple of game-tying drives, but he never had a game-winner, and that sucks. But, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up that topic. Um, let's see here. Tyler. Next. Is Tyler next with the all returning – Potential big all Big Ten candidates. That's how I made my list was based on potential. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think we have a returning all Big Ten guy. So, I mean, obviously, this is a big conversation. Who are going to be our stars next year? Who are going to be the guys that are going to you know, make us relevant on the conference level? And I know uh, Shenander's gotten a lot of praise for um, defense, mm-hmm. and I, I do think that's where a lot of these guys are going to pop up again. Um, so, so the way I look at this is I, I'm not counting transfers. I'm not counting Casey Thompson. I'm not, I'm talking about guys that played at Lincoln last year that are returning. If you guys want to throw in a brand new guy, go, I don't care, but, 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 but there's a few names that came to mind and, 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 I, and it kind of starts with the inside backers. I think both of our yep. inside backers really have a shot. Uh, both of them were top 10 in tackles in the big 10 last year. Um, mm-hmm. in the case of Reimers, he caused the second most fumbles. I think both of them are in for really good uh, capacity. The only thing that might hurt them is the return of Will Honus. And it sounds really, but like they might just lose some snaps this year. Um, So maybe both of them. And then I had two more names I had written down. And and then I have three more names written down. Um, Garrett Nelson, Ty Robinson, and then Omar Manning. Now Omar Manning, I'm putting in there because I do think we're going to pass more. I think we are going to be more of a passing team and someone's got to catch those balls. Is it Xavier Betts? Is it Trey Palmer? I, right now I am going Omar Manning. Um, I think that he, I know Justin likes to say, well, he didn't have the year he expected. He had 380 yards receiving. I think that is a pretty solid year uh, for wide receivers at Lincoln. Like go back and look at how many wide receivers in Lincoln have caught more than 350 yards passing in the last half decade. That list is really small. Um, so I do expect him to be that guy that can step up. Does he get to all conference? I don't know, but I find it interesting that I had four guys on defense and in spite of that, I think our offense is going to be better than our defense. I just think it's going to kind of just like our offense was better than our defense this year. Um, our offense was number two in the big 10 Our defense was, uh, sixth. So like our offense was better than our defense again this year, but I, I think it's going to be kind of similar where it's going to get spread around. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much one, uh, one, one position. So that, that was my list. Anybody that I missed, anybody you guys think that I'm crazy about Chris, I'll start with you. Um, I think 
that list is fine, but I would add in probably one of the running backs, um, either Ramir or Gabe. And then um, maybe uh, I could see Farmer stepping up because what was it? Was it, it wasn't last year. I think he had a couple interceptions last year, but the year he got hurt, he, he was on a pretty good pace that year too. He had three, I think three interceptions uh, that year. So I'm going to put Farmer and one of the uh, running backs for my uh, two guys. I, I will, I'll grant you farmer, but whenever your thing is, I'm, I'm going to get one of the running backs that that is not an answer. I need, I need a name. You got to oh, tell me what name okay. is going to make all conference. Okay. I'll go with farmer and I'll go with uh, Johnson. Okay. That's fair. Okay. And, You're talking and, Emmett Johnson? Ramirez Johnson. <laughs> oh, okay. And, Emmett. And you know what? Dark horse right there. Anybody that I'm missing. Anybody else that you would throw? Anybody like well, what about Ty Robinson? It like was that a stretch? I, I, I think I've got Ty Robinson listed. I've also got Caleb Tanner is, listed, Ty. and uh, as potential, I have Q Quentin Newsom, and like you did, Miles Farmer, Luke Reimer. Uh, I also have Xavier Betts listed as somebody who's possible under Mickey Joseph. If there's a dude that's got the potential that can be have it be extracted by a dude that's going to coach him hard, I think it's Xavier. I think he responds to that pretty well. His coach in Omaha was pretty hard on him. Um, Teddy Prohaska, I could see him as an all, honorable mention All-Big Ten player on the offensive line. Um, maybe Thomas Fedoni as a breakout player for the Big Ten or something at, at, at tight end. In the Whipple offense, if we're going to be – 52 to 55% pass to run ratio. I could see the tight ends sticking out a little bit. And Fedoni's just got all the athleticism in the world. So those are the guys I have in, have in mind. How about you? Anybody else? I, I would put Noeli in there before I would uh, Prochazka. Noeli was one of the highest rated, according to PFF, was one of the highest rated offensive linemen we had. Okay. And so I, I think with, with his rating, I thought he did a good job. Like, he only allowed five pressures all year. I, I mean, granted, he didn't start as much. He didn't play quite as much as some of those other guys. But we had I, we had 159 pressures. 99 of those came from the tackles. Oh, yeah. And almost all of them came from Corcoran's side. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the only I, reason I picked out Prohaska is because Aiden Hutchinson was basically neutralized in the Michigan game when Prohaska was in there, and then when he went out, the first thing that happened, Ben Hart gave up, what, a sack or a tackle behind the line of scrimmage? Yes, but if you'll remember, after that, he settled down and graded out pretty high after that game. That yeah, game. he did. He did. But Aiden had nothing for the first half of that game until he got hurt, until Prohaska got hurt late in that second quarter, early third quarter, whatever it was. I don't know. I was in Arizona. So my son, my brain was baked, and <laughs> the beer was cold, so... Um, anybody else got anything on all returning big one, big 10 candidates on offense or defense that we haven't mentioned? I just have to say this because we talked about this, uh, before this past year, how hard it is to get a wide receiver on the all big 10 team. Yep. Because the all big 10 teams, they only do two wide receivers on the team. So you have to be in the top six in the conference to hit that team. So, you know, hear names like yeah. Omar Manning and Xavier Betts. I mean, 
you you're putting those guys top six in the conference when you yep. when you say things like that. So that's 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 and a really all, tall order for those guys. And you always know that at least three of those six guys are going to be from Ohio State. Well, see, I don't. You, this year, three of the ghost guys. I, I think that this year was a really bit weird anomaly in the Big Ten. Like, I mean, David Bell, the Ohio State wide receivers. I mean, I, I think that those were guys that you earmarked going into twenty twenty one. Like, well, those are going to be special players. I don't think the Big Ten is loaded at wide receiver near at the level as it was in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. The, the two guys that were mentioned, Xavier Betts and Omar Manning, I'm not even sure if either of those two guys are going to be leading Nebraska in receiving yards. I mean, I think it's probably – I think uh, our guy, IGA, IGC, you know. IGC, yeah. I, IGA. We're, we're talking we called him IGA in our last podcast. I know. I was laughing too. I was laughing a lot. But, you know, IGA. Isaiah Garcia Castanado, man. That, that dude – I think he can come in, and I think he can take over the role of Samori Toure and really lead the uh, the team in receiving yards over the two, uh, other two guys. I just think that I just think that Omar Manning might have maxed out at what his potential level is at Power Five football. Could be. Hmm. You never know. Does anybody have any <laughs> any anyone on special teams at all that maybe makes the list? Well, hey, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Trey I was Far- gonna, I was gonna say fan. Trey Palmer. Trey yeah, Palmer. I'm a huge TP. fan of him. <laughs> well, because the last time he returned a couple of touchdowns back on punt and a kickoff return was when Bill Bush was his uh, special teams coordinator. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I would, I threw Brian Bushini on the list just because maybe we'll get a guy that can average forty plus. And who knows, if he gets the wind at his back, he might crank off a couple of 84-yarders instead of one, like, uh, what was his name? Pristip? Pristip? Or however the fuck you say it, Derek? Pristip. Pristip? My my marker marker of success if we get Big Ten, all Big Ten candidates, is honestly just going to be if we have a winning record. Uh, I think that will bode well for any of the guys that we've mentioned because I've got pretty much the same names as as all of you guys have mentioned. Luke Reimer, Nick Henrik, Garrett Nelson. I did put Xavier Betts, but yeah, you did highlight a good point that there's only six of them that can be selected and there's a wide pool of wide receivers to be looked at. And then, yeah, and then I put a split between Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson if they have a breakout season. But I really think for Luke Reimer... And Nick Henrik and Garrett Nelson, those are probably my top three. And I really a, a winning record for the Cornhuskers is really going to bode well for them getting those votes. Um, and if they have, yeah, a good a good season. And with mm-hmm. Will Honus coming back for like the seven seventh year, you know, like <laughs> he's got to be here for eight nine years now. He's 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 got to have his own LLC started up at this point. His daughter's um, going to graduate eighth grade graduation next year. Holy crap! Dude, right. No, I'm making that shit up. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what? Thanks. He would have had to have a kid when he was like eleven. The University of Nebraska as a freshman. <laughs> but yeah, that was my only thought: was winning record being a being a huge play, huge player in that. Well, I think we have 
covered that topic pretty well, have we? Or anybody else got anything that anybody they haven't that hasn't been mentioned? That John Fielder undefeated 2022. Yeah, he's been drinking the same bourbon you are, Justin. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no alcohol in his. Okay. Wow. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be impressed by that or not. I think we're down to you, Chris. Why don't you uh yeah. share with us what's on your on your mind for a topic tonight? So my topic was um where would you like to see Nebraska uh record wise uh, be at for Scott Frost to retain his job going into the twenty twenty three uh season? And I think at minimum, because of the schedule that we have. I mean, we have Wisconsin, Oklahoma, and Iowa, I think, is our, um, let's see, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan, right, as our, I think, top four hardest teams that we're going to play next year. I would say minimum eight and four, really. Um, uh, For me, yeah, you have to make the bowl game as well or whatever. At eight and four, that's possible, but – I think six and six might not do it for him, uh, in my opinion. Really? I don't know what you guys well, I don't know what you guys think, but I think I don't think six and six is gonna be enough. I here's where I'll disagree with you. This is this is the only reason I'll disagree with you on this. Uh it, it's it's the coaching changes. With Trevor okay. Albertson allowing him so much room to to move so much with the coaching changes, I think that gives him a little more opportunity okay. for, for room. Whereas if he had kept his staff, then I think then I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, with with, with, with him allowing so many different coaching changes, I think hmm. I think it broadened his uh, leash a little bit there. Okay. Well, I, I I'm on I'm in the uh, camp of saying that minimum he has to go six and six. Minimum okay. for him to keep his job, he has to go six and six. We have to go to a bowl game. To me, that's not good enough. I'm not exactly going to be thrilled if we're six and six because I think this team has the potential based on the way the schedule lays out. And because Oklahoma, you don't know what the hell you're going to get from Oklahoma this year at all. They're down their top two quarterbacks. Rattler's gone. Williams is gone. They brought in Dylan Gabriel from UCF. We all know how good bringing guys in from power from group of five to power five and expecting them to perform at a power five level has worked out for us the last four years. Um, so don't make us the barometer of success. <laughs> exactly. We shouldn't be the barometer. You're exactly right. Uh, here's oh, the thing. I, I think, like what John just said. Yeah. It's hard to lose, hard to lose four oh. when you're winning all of them. Yeah. Smartest wow. person I in want, that family. I want that Kool-Aid baby. He, he yeah, is the smartest person spiked. in that family. I'll tell you that. He much. makes his Kool-Aid with vodka, Chris. Trust me. Oh man. Um, we got Northwestern in Dublin. We should win that. We got we got North Dakota. We got, we don't go on the road until Rutgers after our first bye week. It's after they reshuffle the schedule and all that stuff. We're going to be literally in Lincoln for 41 days after the game in Ireland. So there's no reason Nebraska shouldn't be at least five and two going into the last five games of the season. Then again, I'm of the opinion that the last time I predicted something then Nebraska did the exact opposite. We are perfectly capable of also going two and five. 
<laughs> based on the first four years of Frost. But for me, if we're five and two, four and three, or something after seven games, there's no reason we can't knock out a couple of wins in those last five games and at least go six and six. I also think eight and four is possible. It's possible, but I think that's our ceiling for 2022. Hmm. I think uh, we, if we go undefeated going into Oklahoma and we beat Oklahoma, I think uh, eight and four is definitely possible. Oh yeah. yeah, I I think our schedule this year is honestly just incredibly favorable in comparison to previous years, and it's probably the best schedule we've had given to us during the Frost era. Um, and like my dad said, in the first in the first six games, we get four of them at home, and then one of them is in Ireland, and then the other is at Rutgers. Uh, right after we have Indiana come to Lincoln. Uh, we finally go to our first away game in Rutgers in week seven. Um, but ultimately, I think we do have to have, at the very least, a four and two record by the halfway point of the season. And I, Derek, you mentioned something that I hadn't thought about. So thank you. It kind of changed my perspective just a little bit that I didn't think about with how much coaching changes that Frost had, has done so far that it, I think you're right. It did increase his leash a little bit that if he would have kept his same coaching staff, he would definitely have to go eight and four, which is what I wrote down. I think he would need to get an eight and four to keep his job. But with the coaching changes, I think he could very well get a seven and five or a six and six. Um, and he could continue coaching. Um, but honestly, I think no matter what, if we go to a bowl game and we find a way to lose, uh, there, I think Frost could very easily get fired if we're only six and six or seven and five, and we lose a bowl game against somebody that, in I, all I, reality, we should beat. I'll disagree with you on one one aspect of that. In today's world, you don't really make a decision off the bowl game anymore. You're, if you're going to uh, fire, yeah. you're going to fire long before that bowl game happens. That is yeah, a good I agree point. With that that and, is and, how the culture has changed quite a bit. I'm going to agree with Derek also. I, when uh, Scott Frost enters 2022, to save his job, he just needs to show progress in whatever metric is decided. And uh, I think four wins, or maybe five wins, will get him another year. Uh, but I think that schedule, although it looks easier, there's a good possibility that Nebraska could possibly go 0-6 in the final six games. Oh, yeah. I think if that happens, Frost is gone. Yeah, in, in that scenario, yeah, in that scenario, I think you're. I think you're right. Even if we're six and zero, we finish out zero and six. I think. I think he's probably gone. Oh, I don't yeah. think that back half that would be that tough. I mean, there's some tough games. That'd be a bad I look. But yeah, because I mean, I mean you, like you it's really the last Illinois. three. You you lose again to Illinois. You lose again to Purdue. I. It starts you lose again to Minnesota. Bad. Yeah. So I mean, so for the listeners out there or the people watching. The the final six games of next year is at Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. Those last four games are I, at top. Michigan. Can I just pause at you there? Like you're making it sound like that is so daunting of a schedule. Like, but it has you said, been. It, you over said the last was, four years. Well, yes, and if the last four years repeat itself, then we're going to win three or four games, and it's a moot point. Like, I mean, I, I you're acting like, well, Illinois, we're, we should be scared of, like. 
Like it, I, I get it. they beat us two years in a row. I understand that, but I'm just saying, like, if we're losing to Illinois, he's probably going to get fired anyway. Like, I don't know why you think we're going to win the first six games if we think we're going to lose to Illinois. Like, is Illinois that team that, like, well, Rutgers would get their asses beat by Illinois. Purdue would get ran out the uh, – Purdue would just destroy Indiana. Like, why do you think that we're going to win those games but then lose to those teams? Like, that's what I don't understand about the last six argument. Here – Here's a here's a good thing to think about or a terrible thing to think about depending on your perspective <laughs> on it is Frost's win-loss record after a bye week. Um he has yet to win a game after a bye week. Scheduled I think one he won after a bye week but I think it was only cuz of COVID so it wasn't a scheduled bye week. Uh, oh, Chris is saying he's won two of them. No, we have two byes this, this year. Yes, we do and <laughs> and we have we have a bye week, and then we have Indiana at home right after that bye week, and then we have another bye week, and we have Illinois at home. So yep. Illinois was an absolute dumpster – or not Illinois. Uh, Indiana was an absolute dumpster fire this year. Uh, didn't win a single Big Ten game. And facing them at home after a bye week, after, our, you know, let's say best-case scenario is a, is a motivating win against OU, nothing – would be more Nebraska like and Frost like to just get <laughs> housed at home by Indiana after a bye week, and then somehow we pull off a win at Purdue, and then we get housed by Illinois again. Like and that look, would just guys, be terrible. <laughs> the reality is, we're we're we're, we're going to be starting a brand new offense, new offensive coordinator, brand new coaches. And with the way that the transfer portal has been going, there's going to be a lot of new faces that are going to be in that offensive lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being new to everything that we're introducing, I mean, it's what are the odds that all of a sudden that after all these years and you bring all these changes, it clicks right away? Yeah. There's going to be some hiccups, which, which is why which is why the Northwestern game scares me. I mean, Northwestern. Oh yeah. They, they they don't normally have two bad years in a row. Like that like everyone's predicting them to be a four win team, which means they're probably due for a nine win season. Like, they're probably right, but they never but they never start off well. I, but, I but Nebraska, Scott Frost hasn't started off the first I'm not game saying yet. that. And it wasn't even part of the equation there. I'm just saying that with, with what Tyler is saying, Northwestern never starts off well either. I, and they get I'm just I, Did I, Northwestern I, lose their quarterback too. Well, which quarterback? I mean, Hunter Johnson. Well, Hunter starter. Johnson left. The starter. But, but, yeah. Uh, but I don't Peyton know. Ramsey? Not Pey- no, not Peyton no, Ramsey. I don't know. But but to to the to the Fuck question, I, I you know, obviously we need to see progress. I think that's the question. I, I hate the I hate the wins loss thing. Because I, I don't know, like this year, if you had told me Scott Frost was gonna go three and nine and kept his and job. Keep his this job? Year, like yeah, I would have been like, well, in order for that to happen, you would have probably had to see an unprecedented like win loss, like one score possessions. It had to be the most flukish season in history. And losing your that, quarterback, and, and and it happened, and it happened. Like so, like when you start talking about this, like in year five, I'm like, well, I I don't know. Like an eight win season could he could get fired off at eight wins if all four losses come late in the year and they're all blowouts? Then yeah, maybe he gets fired. It, could he keep a job on a six and six record? Sure, if they're all really competitive losses, the wins and losses happen at the right timing. Like, yeah, I mean, these things could happen. So 
Like there, there is definitely a range there. I would say that if he goes four and eight, he's definitely fired. If he goes nine and three, he's definitely keeping his job. Like oh, that, I, I will agree job. with you, Tyler, on that. But except for one thing, I don't think there's any way he's losing his job after an eight and four season. You lose the last four games. Go. You start off eight and zero, and use your last four yeah. by thirty points. I don't know, I, but I don't know if if we're if you're using that as a standard. We're eight and zero going into the last four. We're probably beaten two of the last four. We well, well I yes, really I would imagine that if we start. And, up, but and, it would be a very like, Nebraska thing to do. To well, yeah, it would be after. But I also also think too if we beat Oklahoma. That might just go make us go to that eight and four record anyway. I, I hope so. I mean, I yeah, I, I think Oklahoma is going to be interesting because I think they're going to be top ten when we play them. I'm not convinced Oklahoma is going to be a, one of the ten best teams in the country. But no. people like Justin will say, "Oh, well, that doesn't count because they probably will finish year like twenty second. And Justin will write it off saying that, "Oh, it doesn't matter because they suck by the end of the year, but they'll be six when we play them, and he'll write that off." If, if that happens, I mean, you could write it off, but at the point that we play them, and if it jolts us into the eight and four, nine and three area because of that nice Nebraska signature win right there, yeah, then I don't think it really matters if Oklahoma ends up as the 22nd ranked team, which would be a, still a signature win. Well, yeah, cracking the whipple. Did you guys hear the Eyes on Big podcast this last week? Uh, they they, uh, they called it the uh, Cool Whip offense because oh, yeah. Frost and Whipple. Yeah. Oh, yeah, did they, I did hear that. that. Pretty cool. Now, did they use the um, uh, Stewie Cool Whip? Cool Why you Why are you emphasizing the whip? The whip, yes. <laughs> then there was also the, the whole discussion about uh, – Big Kurt said something about playing his hand, and and uh, uh, God Almighty, Jeffrey the Greek was like sick. He said he was six fingers of uh, Amador whiskey in when they started the podcast. So then he said, "Yeah, I about played my hand too when I saw Aiden Hutchinson's mom." <laughs> oh, jeez! I, I hadn't laughed that hard in a long, long time. That was so funny. So. Yeah, by God, I think we've uh, we've got her done. The first red round, big red round table is pretty much in the bag. So, I think we did can, good. Can, can what, I yeah, ask a ahead. follow-up question? Everyone, we already talked, what does Scott Frost need to do to keep his job? Can I ask a stupid question here? What do you think that we actually go, given our schedule next year? Is it too uh, early to even have I, an opinion on that? I haven't even started to really to go question. over the schedule yet because ten and until, two, baby. Ten and two. until I see the spring game, you know, and start hearing stories from fall camp and anything like that, it's really, really hard for me to make that prediction. I would say we'll go anywhere between five and seven and seven and five. <laughs> that's where that's where my head's at right now. We're going to be pretty narrow. five and that's seven or narrow, somewhere okay. in seven and five because I'm in the middle now. I'm in the middle. The Kool-Aid has uh, been replaced by way too much bourbon, unfortunately. <laughs> At uh, least quality I, bourbon, right? I Well, not really. I drink Jim Beam. But, um, I always do. I haven't switched to Gatorade after two bourbons. So instead of 
six bourbons like last time, and that was really bad. So well, I've been drinking Yingling all night. So God, Yingling. So, so Justin, my uh, thing on my channel, I normally do a ceiling and a and a floor. Yeah, and I think right now Nebraska's ceiling is probably eight and four. Okay, and our um, our floor is probably five and seven. Five that's and my, seven. Okay. I think that's my uh, prediction. Well, maybe I'll change it once I kind of start deep diving into the schedule and do that, whatnot, you know, for my future videos. But I think right now I would go with those two records. Right, you saw Justin Zadnicek come on and say he says eight and four. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of our, you know, listeners here. Husker fans think that's going to be more, I don't know, more in line. That's what yeah. I thought we would do in year one. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm very pessimistic about it. Like, I really want to look at the schedule and and say that's a potential win. That's a potential win, but um, everything's like, a potential loss. His, too. Historically, <laughs> like we just find ways to lose. Like nothing would be more fitting than to go into week six against Indiana. They come, they come to Lincoln and we just lay an absolute egg after let's say Mm -hmm. winning against OU, you know, like that's, that's like my, that's my painful prediction is, is like if we were to lose against anybody this year, it would be like Indiana, Illinois, and Minnesota, but somehow we pull off a win against like one of the three Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa's. I would uh, love it. That's a signature I, win right there, Scott. You know what? Yep. If, Dude, if I had to it. take losses to those and beat the main three, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would lose against Indiana, like Purdue or Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota. If we somehow went three and zero against Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa, that would be that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> but I think yeah. I think uh, I'm right in the middle, just like my dad. I think. I think yeah, well, the floor is is seriously painfully say to say it uh, four and eight. Like somehow we only went against North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Rutgers, and Indiana. Those are our only wins. That would be the worst case scenario in my opinion, because unless Indiana figures out how to switch their two and ten season to something more five hundred ish, you know, I don't know what what Tom Allen is going to be doing over there. But, and then best case scenario, if I'm being like objective, best case scenario, I think seven and five. Um, but best case scenario, like if I were to be drinking Kool-Aid again, if I were to actually crack that bitch open, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, we could go like nine and three with our only losses being against Michigan, Wisconsin or Iowa coin flip. And OU. Yeah, we got an entire offseason to think about, you know, what it's going to take to get to that type of level. Uh, but it's, but I mean, to me, I mean, four and eight is, is going to keep Scott Frost. He's going to be able to get, bring his entire staff back even after a four and eight season. And I don't know, shoot, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think a lot of people are really encouraged by the hires that he has. So, uh, I mean, if you just have to see a little bit of progress, 
going on there. So, so you think that he would be given leash because the people like Trev Alberts and the boosters are willing to give his new coaches leash as well? I think so. I'm, 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 I think so. I mean, Derek. I mean, Derek kind of touched on that a little bit, and I think with he's re- look, guys, he's replacing you know all but one person on his offensive staff. And if they can show whatever progress, because I fully expect our defense to take a step back, a step or maybe even two steps back with all the players that they're replacing. And then yeah. if you have all the guys that on offense that they're bringing in, this offense is going to look a little bit different. And, you know, you're going to have that as like, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. They were losing, but they changed their entire offense. And we have a lot of new faces. I mean, there, I think there will be enough evidence out there to say, okay, well, let's see what they can do next year, you know, with all the new faces and new coaches. Okay. I think it's a possibility because, shit, I never thought that we would bring back Scott Frost after the 3-9 and nine season. Nobody did, right? Yeah. And Yeah, I think, I think Frost changes, was – I think I mean, Frost was smart to get out ahead of it too. Yeah. And Once he allow... sat down with Trev and said, yeah, let's renegotiate. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to walk out of here and fire four dudes to try yeah. to figure out how to make this thing work. Um, yeah. I'll so... cut heads off of whoever. <laughs> yeah. Whoever it's, it takes it's... if I can come back. But Yeah, because this is his school. And what's hurts is that two of the guys that he fired were guys that played here. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's what was hard, too. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. I wish they could have figured out how to make it work. Well, and, and that's a shitty narrative also that comes out. It's like, well, Scott Frost, he really wants to coach there. Well, you know what? So did Greg Austin and so yeah. did Ryan Held. I mean, hell, all those guys wanted to coach here, you know? It's like, is it more valuable because he's the head coach? I don't know. I mean, that's a silly narrative. You're on oh. mute there, Ken. <laughs> Still on mute. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I plugged my uh, USB interface from my computer by accident when I reached for my Gatorade. So, ah, there it I is. I guess, guess that's what yeah. I get for trying to be sober. Huh. I won't do that again. <laughs> it's never a good idea. No, it's just I I bumped my USB cable for my uh, USB interface. So, all right, Chris, final thoughts, man. Uh, I enjoyed this whole uh, experience. I'm really happy that you guys allowed me to come on and voice my opinions on the Red Round Table tonight. Um, and I hope to do it with you guys again one night. Um, I'm always open to. Whenever and wherever. So, um, thanks okay. for everyone uh, participating too. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I appreciate all you guys doing this. Um, <clears throat> Justin, where can everybody find you out there on the? You can media find universe? us on Twitter. We don't tweet a lot, but we're on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. You can find us on Facebook, and you'll find even less of uh, less of our content out there. <laughs> but we are there. You can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. We're all over the place, including Spotify. Spotify is a big one. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we we do shows uh, 
all the time. So check us out. Yeah, we are. We uh, Generation Red. You can find us at genredpod.com. And that's where you can listen to the show in your browser. You can subscribe to the show through the provided links or even download the show right from your browser. So genredpod.com is the best place to get connected with us or at genredpod on Twitter, as you can see down there on the screen. Or Facebook.com slash GenRedPod and Generation Red Live on YouTube. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. You guys are the best. John, thank you. We really appreciate the comments. We appreciate you uh, participating. And, uh, dude, you really need to discover bourbon because clearly you have way, way, way too much optimism. Uh, (laughs) So... Uh, you guys are the best. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks again to Chris and the Husker Cuzcast guys for joining us tonight. And Justin's cracking another yingling, obviously for the post show chat where we just sit and curse at each other for the next hour. So <laughs> anyway, you know what, guys, this is this has been an absolute blast. I've absolutely enjoyed this. And for anybody uh, curious as to when the next big red round table is occurring, it will be uh, the second Sunday, February. And we will be having uh, another guest on the show, and we will specifically target talking about the recruiting class and the uh, transfer portal additions to the team. So um, clearly, Chris, you need to go because Mama just told you. The wife just woke up. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. What are you doing? Why are you talking so much? You just woke me up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right, man. Thanks again, everybody. We appreciate you watching. Yeah. Yep. Talk to you guys later. All right, dude. Have a nice day, man. Uh, Fuck Iowa. Their corn sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. I have that shirt. Exactly. (laughs) Good. You got the uh, Iowa Iowa or Hawkeyes Tears uh, Tumblr? Uh, So, no, I'm going to be getting a shirt that says Iowa has bad corn on it. So. If you guys didn't check it out on uh, my Twitter page, uh, they uh, I had one when I went to the Iowa State Fair. I was wearing uh, Nebraska's way better than Iowa. Here's my wife. Yeah. Hi, wife. You got Josie Jewel's autograph yesterday too for fun. Yeah, I already told about Josie Jewel. And how you reached Yeah. Coming in late. Well, this is. This has been fun, boys. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we will head out and we will see you again the second uh, Sunday in February where we will talk about the the, uh, recruiting class as well as the uh, transfer portal additions to the team. Here's hoping Travion Citizen joins that running back room because, damn it, I guess seven aren't enough. (laughs) All righty. We'll see you all later. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red.